0: I think it's all over. It is not it... Here is Kurosevsky. Here is Kane. He scores. And silences the place. Coleman caught on it by Salah. And Salah is off and running now. Catch him if you can. Mo Salah. Brilliant. In the center of the Goal.
1: goal! Aguero.
0: Welcome back everybody to the Wrong Foot Podcast. Joe and I back again to wrap up uh, probably not the most exciting weekend of, of Premier League football this weekend, Joe. How you doing?
1: What a hard sell to start off the podcast. Uh, <laughs> what, what, I don't think mean... the football I don't think the football is necessarily great, but the storyline in the narrative just <laughs> overfilling the cup. No, I mean true. there's there's a lot to talk about. I yeah. think uh, you know. Even if the games weren't brilliant, I think every game had a major talking point in it.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't mean that this podcast isn't going to be fun. We're gonna we're gonna have, have oh talking oh, about, oh yeah now try we, to
1: save it try to <laughs> save it.
0: What what a, what? A, I mean,
1: you know you know, <laughs> you're no wrestling promoter there to start off the pod. You know, well, let's Joe, talk about some crap football.
0: Well, Joe Joe knows what's just happened. I literally just had to clean up someone else's piss. By someone else, I mean my son. So it's not, it's not as bad as it sounds. But I'm uh maybe not in the best mood. That's coming off watching Liverpool in the Champions League. So we'll get to that though. Uh, Joe, if anyone wants to have reached the podcast and share their thoughts feelings feedback how can they reach out to us
1: you can go to the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com again the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com
0: yeah, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and then you don't get texts from me saying new episode dropped. I uh, just automatically download, follow us on Twitter at wrongfootpod and check out our website, wrongfootpodcast.com. Joe, we're going to try something a little bit different today. We're going to go a bit more kind of chronological and we're going to work through Saturday uh, as if we are a- a reliving Saturday. Um, we'll begin with the, probably like the most exciting in terms of goals and back and forth, the Arsenal-Aston Villa game. Uh, what were your thoughts on this game, uh, I definitely have a few thoughts. But you know, Villa getting on the board early, Arsenal getting back equalizing ten minutes later, and then you know going at the break though still two one down after a nice goal from Coutinho. Uh, what what are your thoughts are kind of the first half of this, and then we'll dive into the fun that was the second half of this game as well.
1: Oh, the narrative, the narrative. <laughs> uh, it's funny. For a moment there, we thought the title race. Uh, I heard people say, "Oh, the title race is over. Arsenal have bottled it again. They can't <laughs> survive, especially with that early Ollie Watkins goal for Villa to start off, and oh, Saka got him back on, and then Coutinho scores. Um, you know, 15 minutes later uh, to make it 2-1, going to half. But I thought, you know, <laughs> not quite to the extent of the city game, but I felt like, you know, this was Arsenal who didn't look great in the first half, but looked excellent in the second half. Um, I thought the first half was pretty even. I think most of, if not all of Villa's best chances in this game came in the first half. I thought they started off strongly with the crowd. Um, You know, this, you know, Villa are a team that, um, you know, they're not necessarily in the middle of the dog pile of the, Relegation battle, but they're not far off. I mean, if they string together a few bad results, you know, they're not, you know, by any means out of the woods, even though they're 11th in the table. Right. So, you know, I think it obviously was uh, an important start, especially against, you know, the leading side in Arsenal. Arsenal, again, having to play an early kickoff. We know how much Mikel Arteta hates the early kickoffs, <laughs> how, how bastardly they are. Um, you know, the city game was obviously on a Wednesday night, so it was a short turnaround. So, and it's a, a big match. Like this was again, you know, kind of a, you know, a banana skin, right? For for Arsenal, right? Like coming off the Everton loss, which we talked about, draw home Brentford. They have the huge class against Man City. They lose. And based on what we saw in this first half, Arsenal, these two these two teams were basically even on the first half, in my opinion. Yeah. But being down two one, that pressure kinds of builds and builds and it builds. And I was very interested to see not just what the result was going to be in the second half, but how both teams would respond and most specifically how Arsenal would respond to kind of this 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 baggage that was continuing to pile up on them.
0: Yeah, and I think the first half was like what we've spoken a lot about Arsenal lately, their, their recent kind of, was it two, three results in a row where they've not been mm-hmm. kind of the best results. And it, it looked kind of like here we go again right like they're still kind of stuck in that rut and uh, like not playing at their best or, or kind of the form we'd seen previously in this season and i think it was just looking like oh is this just going to continue and, and like you say it was probably a key halftime um in their kind of like i don't want to say it's like the pivotal moment in the in the title race for them but you know if, if they'd gone in two one down and come back out much the same and and go on to lose or maybe scrape a draw um i think we would be talking about like yeah they just seem to have lost it um and i think like you say the the second half they came out much much better um playing like the arsenal that kind of we've we've known up until this recent month um and, and just playing well and then obviously zinchenko gets the goal equalizes they continue to play well but kind of failing to to knock down the door and uh you know what, what a sweeter way than seeing Emmy Martinez's own goal in the 93rd minute to <laughs> see Aston Villa just kind of... I guess you would say they were hanging on, to say the least, uh, in this game. Wow. And it was just,
1: uh, you an, jump uh, ahead a little bit here. You jumped <laughs> ahead. You gotta, first, obviously, out of the second half, I think it's important to note, obviously, the Zinchenko, Zinchenko goal in the 61st minute, right? To tie it up 2-2. And I think, you know, before we get into Emmy Martinez's goal, I think it's important just to say how much better Arsenal were than Villa in the second half? Villa really offered very little. Obviously, they had the ball off the crossbar that didn't go in. Um, so you can kind of play the game of, well, Villa had a ball that didn't go in off the crossbar. Arsenal had a ball that went in off the crossbar because of right. Emi Martinez. So we can you can mention that, right? But I think in general, um, this was really kind of like an onslaught in the second half by Arsenal. And if you're an Arsenal fan, I think no matter how confident you are in this group, I think you had to feel a little bit... um, You had to be trembling a little bit, right? (laughs) Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to... And the second half, I think, really has to give you a nice confidence boost. If you're a very confident Arsenal fan or if you were kind of like a wavering, like, you know, we messed up, we didn't solidify in the window, whatever. And we saw Arsenal just play like they have, kind of carefree in this very pressurized spot, right? And... In in the whole time, you know, after the Zinchenko goal, it was 2-2. I, I wasn't <laughs> – as the minutes were wearing on, I was kind of less and less sure if Arsenal were going to score. But I felt like they were creating enough chances where they could score, right? And it was just a matter of are they going to get the result, the desired result. And so now we go to your, your boy Jorginho, uh, <laughs> who, who started – instead of Thomas Partey because he's hurt again so a lot of Arsenal fans are doom and gloom on Twitter especially at halftime when you know there's no party, we got to play Jorginho again and uh Jorginho although he's not officially credited with it it comes up with the big strike off of Emmy Martinez's head
0: yeah and just go to back to Jorginho and I, I knew this was eventually going to come out after my uh deal of the the window comments um this is probably like well this is the second game in a row that he started and uh I'll be honest until that goal I didn't realise he was playing um, it's like he's he's not kind of filled the boots that I thought he would fill and I know he's like he's supposed to be more of a peace player than, than kind of starting And with party injured it has kind of led to him starting but uh, yeah I, I'll walk back some of my comments but I think uh, it's a bit peace he's still good I think uh, Martinelli coming on was great I think he like obviously I think He's he's been starting for most of the season. Then with Trossard, I'm guessing they were just trying to freshen things up a little bit with with the form that they're in. But him coming on, I think he's uh, one of Arsenal's best players and has been this whole season. Uh, so but to be able to bring him on uh, was it just about 65 minutes in? Uh, that's that's a nice little touch. But um, I think we've also got to talk about kind of why it was such a kind of satisfying goal to watch hit Emi Martinez in the head and go in. He was just like, he's just an idiot, right? Like He was just, everything, he was kind of maximizing every opportunity to slow things down, do whatever he could to, like, disrupt the game. And, you know, it was 2-2. They were obviously playing for the draw at that point, which would be a good result for Villa. But uh, it just kind of was that good Karma moment as it rocketed off the woodwork and hit him in the head, and I'm I'm not his biggest fan anyway. We talked about the World Cup; I didn't like that his celebrations of winning the World Cup was more about killing Mbappe than actually winning the World Cup itself. Uh, I don't have time for that personally,
1: but uh, yeah, I
0: (laughs) I may have more joy in this than the most.
1: And the funny thing is, with the late goal that Arsenal scored, he came up for a corner kick and it didn't look like David Moyes wanted him to come up. So that seemed kind of interesting. A you know, uh, little you mean, wrinkle. David Moyes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> Wrong manager in Claret. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> I former Arsenal man who, you know, this final result had to kind of be a kick in the gonads. But But um, yeah, Martinelli scores the fourth goal with uh, a vacated net because you know, uh Emi mean, was trying to run back uh, after being up for the corner. And so, uh, you know, people obviously say, oh, that, the scoreline kind of flatters Arsenal. It did in the sense of how close it was for how long it was, and they only got the, the you know, in extra time, they got the, you know, the Emi Martinez own goal off, you know, the Jorginho rocket. But in actuality, in my opinion, this was really a, a just... It, it, this game wasn't as close as the score indicated. It's one of those games where... Arsenal just had to figure out a way to win, and they did. And they gave up two goals away from home, and they still were able to win by scoring four. They dominated the play for the most part, especially in the second half. I thought it was a great response for Arsenal. And I think all in all, you can say the scoreline flattered them. You can say they got a bit lucky, but at the end of the day, I thought this was a solid performance, especially considering the situation based on the previous games we have talked about and going into, you know, the next the next few fixtures they have because, you know, Arsenal have a real opportunity here, right? You know, we're going to get into what happened with City in a bit, but, you know, Leicester away is obviously going to be difficult, but it's an opposition that Arsenal is definitely going to score against. It's just a matter of can can they limit the opportunities for Leicester? But then after that, you have Everton at home, who's just a, a completely different side Uh Oh, at Goodison opposed to away. Then they have Bournemouth at home at Fulham, which is, you know, it's a London Derby and Fulham they are a decent side, but it's really not a place where you're scared to go to palace at home, who seem to be one of the more mediocre sides and then Leeds at home. So those, no, those next, you know, one, two, three, six fixtures. I think the hardest one is this weekend at Leicester, but after that, I think they're really playing teams that, um, they're definitely gonna be favored to win. And if you know, if they win five of those six, which I think is kinda of what they need to do, I think they're gonna be in great shape.
0: No, I agree, uh, completely. I think uh yeah, they they well, we'll get onto the city game and I think this was a game that they had to go on to win and yeah, I totally agree that people saying that the scoreline flatters them, I think that's just kind of looking at how the goals were scored not like the balance of the game they were the better team they deserved to the win um okay so then we move on to the 3 p.m england time 10 a.m uh eastern time what's that 7 a.m western time I, we don't need to nobody cares about first. the
1: west coast nobody <laughs> cares about the west
0: coast uh joe do you want to kind of walk us through i think the first half we it was eight o'clock
1: eight eight a.m in bozeman montana too. don't forget that <laughs>
0: Okay, sorry for all our fans in Montana. Um, yes. Yes, yeah, so uh, the first half kind of I – th- I think you sent a message to a group chat in of, like, where's all the goals gone? I think uh, – what was there Two two goals across the six games in the first half? Yes. Um, John will just kind of walk us through the, the first 45 minutes from, from 10 to
1: 10.45. Yeah, so what I think what we want to do here is because, like, these games – it was fun because there were six games – all six of these games are variously are all important for either the relegation fight, the relegation fight, or um, I guess you could say the top four, and especially the title race. Mm-hmm. But the the fun thing about this, and I think what's been lost a little bit with these solo windows that we have, is when you get like five or six really good games on at the same time, um, it really becomes something similar to what we have in the United States, which is NFL Red Zone or uh, in which basically what happens is in the, you know, the U.S. NFL schedule, there's like seven or eight games at 1 o'clock. There's like three or four games at 4 o'clock. And then we have a primetime game on you know Sunday and Monday. But essentially, for me and for many NFL fans, the best part of the window is when you have seven or eight 1 o'clock games. And even if you have a couple you know, damn squids, as you would call them, (laughs) games that are dull, there's always going to be at least one or two games that are good or interesting, that are competitive. And then you get these awesome times when, you know, there's four games at the end in the fourth quarter and they're all up for grabs. You know, we call it the witching hour because you look at the scores at 3 o'clock and then you turn around at 4.15, 4.30, and half of the results have changed, right? And so I think the fun thing about This, this, you know, these 10 o'clock games. Not one game necessarily on itself was the most compelling, but when you add all six together, it it really created a nice narrative. And you know, we're going to talk about the individual results, but I thought you know an interesting way to do it for us to break down these games because they all happen simultaneously is kind of look at all six games at once, going by you know key moments and goals scored in each game, and we'll recap them briefly at each at, at the end of you know, the first half and the second half. Sounds so nice. of the six, so of the six games that were on, you know, 3 PM England time, 10 PM Eastern standard time. We didn't get a goal until the <laughs> 41st minute. <laughs> Bernardo Silva with a gorgeous wrong foot with his left foot smashes it past the keeper outside the box. It was truly a beautiful, br- beautiful finish. And this puts city up one nil. And, You know, if you were watching this game, this was kind of the goal you were, like, you were kind of waiting for, right? City were definitely in dominance and possession. Forest had very little opportunities. And you were just kind of waiting for that breakthrough. And it finally came. And it was a brilliant goal. And so this was kind of like, okay, City are up 1-0. You know, in order to feel safe, they're probably going to need at least one more for insurance. But there's a good spot. They're kind of responding to what they just saw Arsenal did. It's a must win at Forest away, one of the weaker teams they're in a good situation. And then the second goal uh, that came before the half uh, came from none other than Southampton. So if it's and how Southampton, did that goal come about? Well, that's the thing with <laughs> Southampton. They only usually score one way. And it's a James Ward-Prowse free kick um, to put them these. up 1-0. I think 1-0. Can make a lot of money. <laughs> Listen, you're going to talk Beckham. I mean, it's gonna, you're hard-pressed to find a better set-piece taker and at least Premier League history, maybe you know, or someone could tell us, you know, back in you know the 50s or 60s, if anyone jumps to mind. But I mean, James ward pross you know, playing for a club like Southampton, doesn't necessarily get the accolades of other guys. But I mean, his 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 set pieces are just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And you know, the first half, I thought Chelsea in this game were primarily the better side, but it wasn't like by a significant margin or as big of a margin as you would like against, you know, a team that's bottom of the league. And, you know, they made a foul of Prowse just outside of the box. And then what does he do? He finishes it beautifully. And, you know, at halftime, I still thought, all right, Chelsea will figure this out. It might be a draw, but they'll, they'll at least find a way against Southampton. It's Southampton after all. So, you know, I think at halftime I was, you know, that, that grand Potter hot seat was turned up a bit. Um, so those are two of the games. That had goals in the first half, the only two. The other four games did not have any goals. So let's do some quick takeaways. Um, do you have any takeaways from the first half of Crystal Palace or in Brentford?
0: I don't have a ton so i, I was just going to say like i think uh, we'll, we'll get on to our actual winners and losers of the week later but uh, i was a bit of a winner here because this was when i uh, boarded a flight to montreal and was on a flight and i <laughs> i i didn't have to go back and watch too too much i don't think uh, in terms of catching up on on what i'd missed during a one-hour flight uh, which which w- went over the the first half so i kind of watched the goals watched some key highlights but uh yeah, I think I was I was lucky in, in all first half of Premier League games when there's six going on. I think I, I chose the best half to, to, to be on a flight with, with limited access.
1: Yeah, so just to quickly touch on them, I think there were two sets of two games, really. Um, I felt like Brighton and Fulham and Everton and Leeds, there was one team that was kind of dominating the play. They just couldn't finish. So in Everton, it was Everton at home at Goodison. Brighton against Fulham, it was Brighton. They, you know, both teams were dominating. They had clear advantages. They had almost all the opportunities. They just couldn't finish, and therefore, it was nil-nil at half. Brentford Palace was a very kind of dull, rancid game. Um, like you know, it, it just there wasn't much going on. It wasn't like poorly played, but it just it, it didn't have much um, intrigue. Brentford looked a, le- a bit leggy. It, it, there was just nothing. Um, that was too overly amazing. And then the, the Bournemouth Wolves game, similarly, you know, Wolves play a more defensive style. Um, and Bournemouth just don't have the real ability to break them down, but they're also not going to be as attacking as other teams. So like when you have Wolves play against, you know, a team like a city or a team that likes to attack, you get like a really fun, yeah you know, attacking possession base side versus a team that loves to counterattack, right? Right. Um, but we didn't really get that in those two games. So, um, you know, first half, I think you mentioned that it was kind of like, you know, did someone turn off the goal machine? There was just the two late goals that we talked about, and, you know, it, was, it came from City, which we expected. And then, obviously, the Chelsea, uh, Southampton goal against Chelsea with Ward Prowse was, you know, we, no one was really expecting Southampton to be up at half. So that was a little intriguing. But going into the second half, I think the the thing I was really looking towards was, you know, can you know, I was kind of looking more towards the relegation side. Can Everton get the 3 points that they need against Leeds? I was I wasn't worried about City Forest, but I said, oh, maybe City can add on here early. Um Wolves Bournemouth, I was really just saying, could anyone win this game? <laughs> Cuz it, it was pretty defensive and then Brighton Fulham, I was just like, you know, Brighton have been so much the better team. Is it, are they going to rue the fact that they couldn't finish any of their chances? So we get to the second half and we have a goal pretty quickly. 49th minute, um, Tavernier for Bournemouth. Um, just a, it was, a, you know, ran from that just, uh, from a, you know, a, what's sw- uh, an in swing, I guess you would say from yeah. the right hand side comes across and, and finishes it beautifully. Um, you know, these are the these are the kind of you know not necessarily the silky beautiful football, but when you score against Wolves, you kind of just got to put guys in the get guys in the box and hope that uh, you know they can score, right? And and uh, Tavernier did, and now this game, in my opinion, goes from Wolves. If they were to win this game, you feel really good about them. You know, they have kind of really solidified their you know themselves in the table, fire up. But now, not only are you down, you're down to Bournemouth, who's a team in the bottom three, and you're losing at home, and you're not like necessarily great at scoring goals, right? You're a defensive first team, so down 1-0, can you come up with something at Molyneux to get this back, right? Yeah. I
0: think so that, that we... was a
1: very interesting first goal of the second half.
0: And I think the big thing here is like we, we often talk about like the atmosphere at some of these games that like we talked a lot about it with the Everton Arsenal game wherever where it came out on top and it's like these are the kind of games though that you almost don't want to be playing at home when you go 1-0 down to a relegation rival because that's when the crowd as opposed to kind of rallying behind you for the most part that's when the kind of doom and gloom might sit in a bit for some of these fans and they kind of they might be more on your back than kind of pushing you forward and I think this was a case of that. It was just kind of like like you say, it's it's a big relegation battle um, and like we'll get into the, the table and the ramifications of, of some of these results later but you know, th- these are the kind of goals, like you say, it's, you, you know this isn't going to be Wolves are going to run out and score three goals. It's, it was going to be a close game and, and whoever got that first goal was going to be in a position of power and they managed to do it, like you said, pretty quick after the half and I think then it becomes anxious in the stadium with all your home fans, as opposed to they're rallying you on and and pushing you forward.
1: Yes. So then what do we do? We wait. We wait another 15 minutes. We're looking at all the action. We're waiting for someone to score. We're waiting for someone to score. (laughs) And lo and behold, who does it? The classic Everton man, (laughs) Seamus Coleman scores. Um, Nice goal. Nice goal. Well, very weird angle, right? bad angle shot and how does he score? Because I don't I don't quite know what the the well, m- the, the Leeds keeper is doing. Well, the, so I had goalie expert Olden the <laughs> way in here, right? I and say, yes. he basically said it looked like he was playing for it to be a cross but there was no one in the box to cross it to. <laughs> That's basically what happened. He, he well, was just he had he was, you know, you, you could tell he was completely wrong-footed. And he was not expecting it, but there was nobody coming, so it's kind of hard to to tell like what exactly he was trying to accomplish there.
0: Yeah, and if, if I don't know how many of our listeners have have played football in their days, and especially played in goal, but when, whenever you're in training and you're a goalie, like the big thing they're drilling into is like don't get beaten at your near post right like you that's you you got to protect that and and this was just a classic case like you say I think he was I guess expecting the cross as Olin said I I don't know but he just left the the front post wide open and the ball just kind of rockets it like like I say I think Goldman it was it was a nice strike it was a nice goal but um I think you question more the goalkeeper's positioning and yeah, like I say, it's almost goalkeeping 101 to, to protect that near post, and you don't want to be beaten at your near post, and especially when, from from kind of the range it was at, and like you say, with with no one in the box, there was no reason to leave that much space and, and get wrong-footed, uh, almost for no apparent reason.
1: And, you know, not to be dramatic, but that's like a six-point swing rate. I mean, at least a four-point swing if there was a draw. Right. I mean, Everton yeah. obviously were... Were they in the relegation zone or right above it for this game? And this girl was critical.
0: I think they're in it because um, both Bournemouth and Everton were in it, right? And they both came yeah. out
1: because West Ham and Leeds lost. I think yes, Yeah, both so that makes it. sense. So yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously a massive goal. The crowd at go single goes wild. Sean <laughs> Dyche is very excited, and we as fans have another. We're excited, right? And yeah. guess what? We get another goal almost right away for the first (laughs) time all day, and the only time all day. Uh, Etsy finishes um, a brilliant goal by Crystal Palace. If you get a chance to look at this, so many intricate passes inside the box, a beautiful cross, and Etsy just heads it in beautifully. This was a really nice goal in a game that was not very exciting for the most part for a team like Crystal Palace, who is kind of... Milk toast, in my opinion, they don't – they're not very exciting. They don't play beautiful football. They're good defensively. But, you know, they're just just—you know, – they're just lacking much – they're lacking any real excitement um, in this current squad. They're a fine team. They're probably going to stay up based on where they stand. But to get up one nothing against Brentford, that's huge, right? And for me, it's kind of like <sighs> when we talk about these teams that are having great years like a Bryan, like a Brentford, a Fulham. The difference between these teams and the top teams is just consistency. Right. A team like Brentford we saw, we saw them go to the Emirates and get a draw. We, we saw them tie against uh, Spurs at home. They can get a result against anyone, but they don't have the consistency of some of the top teams to get these results that they need. A game at home against Palace, if you want to make a European spot, that's a game that you have to win more often than not.
0: No, I, I, I think uh, what Palace have done, like, I think it, it, before we get onto Brentford, like, I think, you know, this is a result. Like Obviously, we're jumping ahead here, but, like, they've just come off a draw with Brighton, which I thought was a good result with the form Brighton had been in. And, like, I think what Palace have done well is just kind of quietly strung together good enough results to, like, you say, I think keep enough distance. They're only six points clear in the drop, but I think there's enough teams below them that uh, they're not going to kind of drop down and I think they're they're solid enough to get these results and then like you say I think with Brentford it's just a these are the games at home if you, if you are a true you want to finish top six you want to get Europe top seven um, you know even talk about maybe Top four, like these are the games at home that you have to take care of business, whether Palace are a decent side or not. Like y- you need to be winning these games, and to go one nil down, I think was a bit of shock to the form that that Brentford have been on. Um, and, and we'll get on to where this game ends up going, but. Um, yeah, I think I think Palace are doing a good job of playing Disruptor in enough games and kind of just grinding out some results. Like you say, it's definitely not pretty. It's a bit it kind of sums up Patrick Vieira, right? Like he wasn't like he played in a great Arsenal team, but I don't think he was ever like the finesse player. Like he was the crunching tackle midfielder that just kind of kept the meant the guys with all the skill and the like the Perez, the Perez, and the whoever else around him could kind of do their thing and he would just hold it together and I think kind of Palliser just kind of epitomized that as as a team.
1: Eh, I don't think they're quite as crunching as, as Patrick <laughs> Vieira this Patrick Viera was and as Maybe now, maybe
0: not as much as like the Roy Team Patrick Vieira battles, yeah. but yeah.
1: So now I think we go to the most important goal. <laughs> um. Well, maybe first, depending on how you look at the table, against the grain of play, the old what leads? Uh, where else is it? He's played a number of places. Chris Wood for Forest, against the grain of play, finishes it off, and <laughs> against all expectations, it goes one-one. And I can just say, you know, before you chime in, like, I, you know, I wasn't really worried because it's City, and you know. I hate to say it, but I am pulling for them in this title race. Um, just not that I you know, I have no sympathy for Man City. It's just, you know, I don't want Arsenal to win, obviously. But, you know, they scored the goal. And I just kind of looked at myself like, damn. City, we're kind of on top of this. They should have had a second goal so often. I mean, when they played Villa a few weeks ago, you just see City stomp on opponents when they get up. And this game, they kind of let Bournemouth away with it, and of course they rue it, right? It seems like City always seems to give up a goal late, and this is the goal they gave up here. They seem to be struggling with clean sheets, Um, but yeah, a massive goal. This is a spot where, you know, this is a game where City have to win, right? Arsenal came up, City have a Champions League time midweek. They're playing Forest, who, you know, it's not the easiest place to play, but... It's a team that, if you're Man City, you really should win, especially up a goal and dominating play. So to couple this, you know, to couple you know coming off the huge midweek win at the Emirates before the big Champions League tie, you have in the weekend, you know, in the midweek on Wednesday, you are up one zero and you let it slip. That's yeah. not great.
0: And to put it in the context of like how on top Man City were, I think they finished with over seventy percent of possession. They uh Forrest only had four shots all game and this was the only one on target and it was literally a tap in at, at the back post. But uh, I've gotta give a shout out to my boy Brennan Johnson here, who uh he I feel like he made this goal. If you if you watch yep. the back kind of like in midfield, nice little run and then he, uh, I can't remember who he fed it out wide to, whoever got the assist, uh it was a Gibbs White on the on the outside of him, and he just basically puts it across the, the six yard box for a tap in from Wood. But Brennan Johnson, uh, the Welsh wizard, the next Gareth Bale, uh, heard it here first. It was just uh, another shining light for him. And yeah, I think that there was part of me that also thought, like, uh, you know, we, we talk about this in, in football with, like, when you're playing Patrick Mahomes and you, you score too early uh, with, and give him too much time to come back and score. Like, I kind of had a bit of. That feeling with this forest goal as well. It was like, okay, fourth minute. There's like, there's still that plus stoppage time, like six minutes plus stoppage time. I, I kind of felt like City were just gonna up it another gear yet again, even though they'd been playing pretty dominantly and just kind of turn the screw and, and get the goal and you know eke out a a two-one victory. But that just then didn't happen, <laughs> which is like. So I think that that was kind of my initial thought as the goal went in was, ah, there's still time. Like this 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 one's not over.
1: But they couldn't get a second one. So now, in a similar vein, to one team dominating and then all of a sudden getting a goal against them in the 88th minute, what happens, Rich? What happens? Well, Fulham or Brighton?
0: F- Fulham just—I uh, think it was like one of the first times they had the ball outside of their own area or outside of their own half uh, through, through the whole game. i oh. <laughs> just uh...
1: when you talk about smash and grab. <laughs> You know, Manor Solomon's goal was absolute <laughs> smashing Uh It was actually a great um, hold-up ball by Carlos Vinicius, and he passes it off and he's open. But, I mean, I, maybe even more so than Man City Forest. I, Brian should have just were dominating this game. Like, every chance, you know, whether it was um, Matoma or um, Marsh or – uh you know, whoever else had the opportunities, they were just they had so many opportunities to score. I think their XG was well over two in this game, and they just could not finish. And you know, Brighton played a great style. This rb you know, deserves, you know, Evan Ferguson up top. McAllister had a late one off the off the bar, um, now that I'm remembering. Um they had so many chances, right? Well they they did find the twice.
0: Finish. But I think
1: they were both off sides, right? right. Yeah. Yes. So yes. That's and when they one found the finishing but, boots. But, like, one of them was so far off sides, right, it was yeah. unbelievable. Um, <laughs> and so I don't even, I didn't even, the second one was a little bit closer, but it was still clearly off. So I didn't count those. But, you know, this was just, you know, and, and what's the difference between Brighton, right? They play this great football, but they have this ceiling. And the ceiling is, they just cannot consider, I mean, we've seen it. Matoma's had a, a has has made you know, three or four fantastic goals. Yeah. And when those when those those moments of brilliance dry up, it's just it's just tough to score. And I mean, you know, Brighton has been successful. I mean they've scored thirty nine goals. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's more than basically everyone other than the top four. But you know, it's just the consistency in the certain spots. I mean, they've scored a lot of goals in, in some games. And they've just lack goals and others. And this is a classic one where you needed one goal, you needed two goals, you needed to find a way to get it. You created the opportunities, but whether it's you know Ferguson's still young, he's not ready. You know they call him the wonder kid, but this is you know this is a result where this is where we say Brighton, as fun as they are, as great of a story as they are, they're just not Champions League material quite, or in you know hopefully they're European material, right? either whether it's the conference league or the europa league but they're just similar to brentford but probably you know even being a better side than brentford they just they just don't quite have the consistency of a top class striker like a harry kane like a marcus rashford has been so far this year they're just missing that one piece
0: yeah i think i think we also have to like Talk conversely to that is like Fulham, obviously in a like they those are three teams grouped together, Brighton, Fulham, and Brentford, and yep. they've done a good job here of like doing the opposite of what we're saying, right? Like Mitrovic was without, who is obviously their star striker, um, and I don't think him playing would have really changed the game too much in terms of they are probably looking for maybe a draw with a with a smash and grab type victory if uh, at best. And I think this is going to be what is the difference between who finishes. 6th, 7th, 8th, 5th, wherever they land in, in the end. And I think as much as we're saying like Brighton and, and, and Brentford kind of failed to do that job this weekend, I think we got to give the kudos to, to Fulham to be able to do that job because that's going to really help them and, and put them above those teams uh, come, come yep. the end of the season.
1: And those teams you mentioned, Fulham, Brighton, and um, Brentford, Brentford. Probably only one or two of them are going to be in a European competition. So that is yeah. a big fight for these clubs. And so now we go to our final goal. <laughs> final goal of the 10 o'clock window. <laughs> the eighth goal of the window. And it was scored none other than by the club we just mentioned here, Brentford. <laughs> yeah.
0: So they, 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 what was it, 96th? Minute, uh, last gaffs yep. to kind of say say the least and. Um it, it's one of those that when you score in the 96th minute to equalize, it's it's almost like a victory, even though when you look at the grand scheme of things like we talked about, uh, if, if they want to be pushing for Europe, these are the games they need to win. But uh, at the end of the day, they, they get a point. They're now still unbeaten for some ridiculous amount of games. I think it's about 10 or 11 games now they haven't lost for Brentford. So, yeah, that's, that means something. That gives confidence to, you know, it, it, like I say, I think it's a disappointing draw in the grand scheme of things, but... It will feel like a win just to get it so late and uh, and be able to kind of hold on to that unbeaten run.
1: Yep. Look, again, a good look. Thomas Frank has done an amazing job. If you were to tell any Brentford fan they'd be in ninth place at this point, they would have, you know, bitten your hand off for it. Yeah. And they play good football. They're a very well coached side. It's just they don't have the squad in the depth to, in just the high end talent to be consistent enough to try and get a top-four finish. But their classic mid-table side with European upside in terms of Europa League or Conference League. Um, And, and if you saw, like, when they scored the goal, the goalkeeper, Reya came running over. Uh, Thomas Franco was looked exhausted. So, um, <laughs> you know, it was really, like, a last-second goal that really kind of, at least they got something out of it, right? But I do think, um, in terms of, like, we talked about how Brighton dominated fulham and city dominated forest right and brighton yeah. lost and city only got a draw this game i don't i don't feel like brentford really dominated i thought it was a pretty close affair i think either team could have won i think the one one is a fair result but when you're brentford and you have a little bit higher expectations you know it's not the best result imaginable yeah. Yeah. so any big takeaways from the 10 p.m window 10 a.m uh, window excuse me
0: I think uh, we kind of alluded to it. I think Bournemouth, uh, you know, famously we've both been very down on Bournemouth, and for them to get a win, it actually elevated them out of the drop
1: zone. <laughs> yep. Props <laughs> was- to Olin. He mentioned that last party He thought they looked good, and yeah, yeah, they did look decent.
0: Yeah. So I think I think that's one of the big things. Obviously, City dropping points. Um, you know, they they kind of they beat arsenal pretty handily and it looked like there was a momentum shift uh in the title race and they've almost just given that momentum back to arsenal at this point um by by dropping points and you know like we like we talked about it it looked like in the early kickoff it was going to be more of the same and and you know throughout the day it it quickly shifted the opposite way um yeah i think though though obviously that's a, a big one i think everton Getting a win, I think you you alluded to it a bit earlier around kind of their home versus away form. Like they obviously did not look good at all against Liverpool in in the Merseyside derby at Anfield. But you know, taking care of business here against a team Leeds who are obviously struggling right now, without a manager, kind of a bit lifeless. And and it's, those are the results again. It elevated them out of the drop zone for the first time in a little bit. So uh, I, I think that was huge. And then yeah, all the things we've talked about with with Brighton. Uh, yep. and, and Brentford and, and Philly.
1: Yeah, so I think the title race obviously with City, that's probably number one takeaway. But number two, um, we'll, we'll obviously get into West Ham and Leeds in a bit, but every other team, like we mentioned in the bottom three, got the result. Everton at home. And I think the one thing that we have to continue to see from Everton, I think the thing is it's kind of a tough gauge because I think Leeds are really in a bad spot right now.
0: Yeah.
1: But with Everton, we, we've talked about it, they're a different team at Goodison at home. Can that continue, right? Can they continue to get to three points? We saw it even against a team like Leeds who are struggling, right? It took kind of a weird Seamus Coleman goal to put them over the edge. And I think because I think their road form is going to be significantly worse, I think getting three points as often as possible at Goodison is imperative for Everton. So they were able to do it this time. But when we look ahead and they play, and I know they have Spurs coming up and they have other tough, you know, they're playing away at Arsenal coming up soon too. Can they find a way, especially at home, to get three points? Um, And I think Southampton. Look, it's a brilliant win away at Chelsea, but I just don't see much. Like, you know, it's the same same recipe, right? (laughs) It's a James Ward-Prowse free kick. How long can you live on that one recipe? You know, it's just tough. And I just, I think they're the weakest side currently. I think. Look, a huge result for Bournemouth to get out of the drop zone. If you put a gun to my head, I still think they're going down, but. An imperative result at Moline to get the three points. On the other hand, for Wolves, they're really right back in this race now. I mean, if they won today, they, they would be up to Palace in twelve on twenty six points. Right. They lose at home, and now they're twenty three points and they're only three points above the drop. That's how tight and fine these margins are. And um, you know, Wolves have to find a way to score again. A team like Bournemouth is a team you should be able to score on. They're not like the great, you know, and, and it wasn't like, you know, if you look at XG, if you look at any of the events metrics, if you just do the old-fashioned thing and actually watch the game, which I did, um, there just wasn't enough. There wasn't a big discrepancy between the two teams. It's not like what we've talked about in these other games where one team was dominating and got a poor result. Wolves were just not that much better. And, you know, maybe they should, they, you know, Truthfully, they probably deserved a draw, but even a draw against Bournemouth at home, it's not the end of the world, but it's still not – It's not. they didn't take advantage like they could have.
0: Yeah, and just to, to touch on Southampton a little bit more, I think uh, this kind of sums up uh, when people talk about luck in football and kind of, you know, things have to go right. And, like, this was just a classic case of, like, they get this great result, away at Chelsea. Yes, like it was not like they were playing brilliantly or you know that they, they like you say scored the way they always score but you know the, the luck sums up that then Bournemouth and Bournemouth and Everton both win as well. So then they stay rock bottom, right? Like it, so it kind of it, it's one of those things that when you're down you're really down and and things just don't ever seem to go your way because you know what should be a big confidence boost three points like in a different kind of timeline they're they're out of the relegation battle with that win at Chelsea but instead they're still rock bottom they're still three points away from from getting out of the drop zone and you know it just uh it just seems kind of sad and maybe they couldn't have got enough points there depending on the results, I haven't done all the math the goal difference and stuff like that, but they they definitely would have moved above Bournemouth if Bournemouth had lost um, and equal to Everton I think, if Everton had lost um, but yeah, I think it's just kind of, that's one of those signs where you think like, this is just not our year you go away to Stanford Bridge, you get the win and, and you're still sitting rock bottom at the end of the day so Shall we move on? Anything else to say, Joe, on the uh, the 10 a.m. games?
1: No, I think it's time for you to rip off the mandate. Be happy and then be sad.
0: Well, <laughs> can I do the sad first? Is that allowed? I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about Liverpool. So, you know, Liverpool for the first 20 minutes against Newcastle looked like Liverpool of old. Uh, they scored two goals, two decent goals. Uh, Nunes and go again. Salah uh, getting one of the assists you know the front three looking lively like they did against Everton I did mention in the Everton game you know uh, is it a bit of smoke and mirrors this is not a great Everton side that, that they have put away uh, but you know going away to Newcastle who are uh, top four at the time uh, still top four now good result uh, to go and go and win but you know the big talking point was uh, just a little bit after the second goal uh, just after the 20 minute mark uh, Nick Pope just kind of came to try and clear a ball but for some reason tried to head it instead of just kicking it or chesting it and you know with with Salah on his kind of shoulder or charging him down and then so he falls over the ball's kind of there he, I guess instinctively as a keeper what you're going to do you're going to stick your hand out you're going to grab the ball he does that he's miles outside the area so this is an easy decision for the referee for a straight red um, but really I think that's where and, and Joe correct me if I'm wrong but I think that's where Liverpool's good performance kind of ended at that point. <laughs> it was kind of, and I don't know whether it was mentality because, you know, if they got the two-nil lead, they got they're kind of a man up. Um, they had the Champions League game, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment, uh, on the horizon. So was there a little bit of taking their foot off the gas? I don't know, but I thought this was a real opportunity for them to, give some confidence to some of their players who have not been in the best form and and just drive on and you know at least score one or two more goals and and they really didn't and I don't really feel like they ever really seemed like they would um I think Newcastle as well with with the uh the cup final on the horizon uh kind of towards the second half of the second half so like the last quarter of the game I think they kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit as well because I think they kind of were going into preservation mode more than anything. And, yeah, I just think it was, I, I was very optimistic with when they went 2-0 up and then it kind of just seeped into like, is again, similar to to what I said about the Everton game, it's like, well, situation-wise, they're, they're 2-0 up, they're a man up. Is this just a bit more smoke and mirrors, and, and we can get onto the Champions League game, which probably would suggest yes, <laughs> it, it was a bit of smoke and mirrors. But uh, before we do, Joe, what were your thoughts on on Newcastle Liverpool?
1: Yeah, I think you said it. I think Liverpool came out fantastic, and you know the the goal by Nunes. I think Gakpo scored the second goal; it was brilliant. And then you know Nick Pope comes out for. Uh, <laughs> I am going to try and head this no matter what and it was a disaster and then it, but felt it was like, like after it, was,
0: that... it was so yep. low though like it, it made no sense why he tried to head it like i just just like leave with your foot or so, like it was probably about waist high i'd say and he just like i i don't know anyway go back and watch it if you haven't seen it it's it's an interesting choice
1: no no for sure and then like you said i just think you know liverpool's weaknesses are kind of exploited here by newcastle even down a man. this was not like uh put on you know you know uh step on their throat and squeeze them this was just a very kind of timid 2023 2022 liverpool season you know it was just kind of a a weak performance so yeah, yeah I, I, I think it. i mean it's shocking to say that against you know a, another top four side that they went away and there was some bright side especially early but again like you we weren't like overly optimistic after watching it
0: yeah and i don't think you like if anyone turned on the game at halftime and started watching and, and you know didn't know um that the, the Newcastle were down to 10 men I, I don't think you would have picked up on it it wasn't one of those typical games where you can kind of tell that there's always a man extra somewhere and a man over and they're creating space it's just like it was still pretty even for the rest of the game and I think that's a testament to, to what we've given Newcastle a lot of credit for in terms of their abilities to defend and their strength in defense uh, it kind of you know th- that doesn't really change with the man down he just lose even more of their goal scoring ability which which they don't have a ton of anyway um but yeah we'll get on to the uh the champions league game which uh again for 20 minutes like you know joe you sent a text message saying they don't need to finish top four because they're going to win a champions league and uh yeah well, for, well, well, for... well that was
1: satirical <laughs> right i will well. say before though that comment that i said was accurate all these annoying people talking about darwin Nunes and oh i don't know you can't really finish Nawan no, Nunez is very good. He's yeah, so agree. talented. We saw that, honestly, you know, with that first goal, he is the <laughs> farthest thing from the problem with Liverpool.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the midfield and more so the defense. And like today, so yeah, they go two 0 up against uh, Real Madrid. A bit of fortune in it, and uh, it, then quickly the wheels fell off. And I think Liverpool realized who Liverpool are, um, and and Real Madrid also realized who Liverpool are, and went on to score five goals a bit of luck in some of their goals as well um some good play and it's just uh i takes text one of my friends of like remember when liverpool just didn't concede goals like they went on that crazy run at anfield where like they went unbeaten and they barely conceded any goals at anfield it's like now it's like they'll be lucky to kind of concede just one or two and you know i think real madrid coming in to anfield and, and winning 5-2 just kind of sums up where liverpool are and i think kind of Justifies my comments about the smoke and mirrors of of these last couple of games in the Premier League, where yes, they kept two clean sheets, but one was against a poor Everton team, and another was against a Newcastle side where we've said struggle for goals and were down to 10 men for the majority of that game. Um, I think this just kind of put Liverpool back in their place of of where they are right now and, and the struggles, and just highlighting you know, not having a midfield, uh, and van dyke not being van dyke that he once was that can kind of save the rest of the defense um by being the rolls royce at the back he's he's not got that so then the weaknesses of the the annie robinson who i think is a decent defender but you know he likes to bomb forward and trent who i've never rated rated defensively um it's just exposed over and over again and and Real Madrid did it with ease um yeah, before I go to doom and gloom, uh, I think I'll stop there. But Joe, do you have much to say about about
1: Liverpool's defeat today? Uh, let me say, I was obviously not one of these people. People were saying the fixture was over at 2-0 Liverpool. <laughs> you wait 45 minutes, it's 5-2. Real Madrid. Uh, yeah, it was just... Uh, I mean, it was just... Uh, we've talked about Liverpool a lot. I think... Like they're not playing teams like Real Madrid every day in the Premier League, but I mean, this was just an evisceration, right? Yeah, no, but this... it was—it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Like if you look at XG, I joked about it. Liverpool had <laughs> over one, one goal better XG, um, and I think this is where kind of XG can be deceiving. Like I don't think the final result, like five-two, is really accurate of the game, but I do think what it's accurate of is just—it's so easy to get past Liverpool. There's no, there's no, like, not even if there's no structure, there's just, there's no friction at all trying to get, like, the midfield is just, even with Henderson, you know, from Cino. there's just, you know, there's just no, there's no, there's no structure. There's no, there's nothing that's stopping you from just easily connecting a few passes and going right through and having a great attempt. And, you know, the defensive, you know, (laughs) Virgil van Dijk is back, but he's, He's not what he was three years ago, two three years ago, and there's just so you know we, we could can talk about Robertson and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold all you want, but it's just they they just they don't have good enough defenders, and they're not able to have enough possession and make it matter enough to offset that.
0: Yeah, and, and just to your point, like I think if you look at the stats, I think it's and, and just kind of like the eye test of the game, like. Maybe it seemed a bit more even than 5-2, but but what I will say to that is, like, I think, I don't know how hard Real Madrid had to try to win 5-2. Like, I, I know they obviously took their chance as well, well, uh, which always helps, but, like, you know, like Benzema, when you've got him and you can kind of just put him through one-on-one with, like, two passes and it's, like, little effort. Like, I, I just feel like if they wanted to try even harder, it probably could have been a lot worse, and I don't feel like... I I think statistically and and how the balance of the game, it seemed even, but I just didn't see that it wasn't like, you know, Real Madrid were kind of dropping to their knees in exhaustion with how much they were trying. I just felt like they could score when they wanted to, and they did, and that, that was all they needed to do, and they could almost play at somewhat 75%. For
1: sure.
0: Uh, so just a quick nod to to Napoli, who for some reason weren't massively favoured in this game, but you know Napoli are very good. <laughs> um, admittedly, they they had the joys of playing against ten men for the last kind of half an hour of this game, but you know they would go away to Frankfurt and and win two nil, and they that that kind of uh, that game is probably in in the books now. And uh, you know yes, there's another leg, but going home to Napoli with a two goal cushion. Uh, I, I, I favor them to go through. I didn't watch a ton of this. I saw the goals, but uh, I think they they missed a penalty as well, right? Did I see that somewhere? Uh, Napoli. So it could have been even worse for Frankfurt. But, uh, yeah, hats off to Napoli getting the job done. They're
1: so good. They're so good. <laughs> Their counterattack is brilliant. Um, the speed of Oshiman and... Oscar awesome um, is so
0: good, and he's like always yes. still plus my, Like, he's basically like Haaland for Man City, but for some reason, is still plus you for like any time goals oh, So that's not, not going to last long.
1: Well,
0: yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's, I'm not saying he's as good as Haaland, but what I mean is in terms of his no, goal scoring I mean, prowess. He yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy that he's still plus money every game, even though he pretty much does score every game. Um, but yes, mm-hmm. Napoli, they were my winners last week, and they, they continued on the winning way. Um, so let's move on to, to Sunday uh, in the Premier League. You know, I don't think we need to do this uh, in order, in the same way, but uh, Joe, your boys rolled out.
1: Uh, oh, you uh, want to jump there? Okay. I'll,
0: I'll jump there. We'll finish with Man United. I got things to say about Man United, so... Oh, boy. Um, You know where that's going. Uh, Yeah. Let's talk about your boys. Uh, Decent victory at home to West Ham, taking care of business. Uh, West Ham is strong. I'd say they kind of bounced back a little bit from their poor form. And I I think this just has kind of reaffirmed that, like, oh, no, they're definitely not out of the woods. And now they do sit back in the relegation zone. Uh, What are your thoughts on uh, Spurs versus West Ham?
1: Yeah. So from a Spurs point of view, I thought this was kind of like the most, even though he wasn't there. Uh, the most Conte like performance they've had in a really long time. Um, you know they didn't create like Uber amount of chances, but they were clearly the better team, um especially in the second half. but it was really just it all stemmed from like being very strong at the back. Uh, obviously, they gave a draw also in the start. Uh, Oliver Skip and Hoy were excellent in the middle, and I think really what we have to talk about and it's truly spursy. <laughs> Emerson Royale, the guy who everyone said, Oh, we gotta replace, we gotta replace Spurs go out, they spend forty five million pounds on Pedro Porro to play right wing back and what yeah. happens? Emerson Royal plays some of the best football he's ever played at Spurs for the past three games. I mean, you almost can't take him out of the lineup now. He not only, you know, what what Emerson Royal has been so, he's been, he's such a hard worker. He spent like, I believe like a million dollars on like a health coach and all this different stuff to be as good as he can. And I mean, that's the kind of player you want, right? And he's very good defensively, but he's not a great right wing back because he doesn't have like the attacking prowess as we've witnessed the past year. But the thing about it is, him and Ben Davies, you know, who has never played left back this year. I mean, he's never started at left back, left wing back, I should say. Those two guys, who are not the two guys you would expect, <laughs> started off with a Hoybier brilliant pass to Davies, cutting in from the left side, and he finds Royale coming from the right side to finish <laughs> it. That is like true Conte ball, right? Both yeah. w- defensive midfielder, both wing backs get in and score. And it just kind of put me up in a tizzy because, like, if you're going to get this from Royale, you have to keep him because not only is he very important defensively, but he's also adding offensive production, which has always been the big weakness for him. Uh, And then Sonny comes off the bench and scores. Uh, I guess that's the only time he can score these days is off the bench. Um, And I just thought, like, you know, it was a very workmanlike performance from Spurs. This is, like, what I envisioned – when they brought in Conte, I thought this was kind of the football we'd see. The one thing I will say is West Ham really didn't offer much. Very disappointed in their performance. You know, this is a London derby. West Ham almost always gives Spurs whatever they got, and they just didn't. I mean, there was really no fight back um, after the Royal Royale goal, the you know one goal. There wasn't much fight back when they were down 2-0 either. It just... Um, it was just like a very like weak performance from West Ham. It's not what I would expect on a London derby on a Sunday Sunday evening from them. So I think if you're a West Ham fan, you have to be very disappointed. David Moyes is not getting what he should out of the squad. I mean, this is almost you know 90% of the squad last year that was in the semifinals against Eintracht Frankfurt in the Europa League. So mm-hmm. it's been a huge fall from that point, and now they're going to be scraping to to stay up.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think, I I know you mentioned Sun scoring off the bench and that's all he seems to do, but I think I think it's kind of good signs that Sun's getting back to the Sun that we've known the last few years. Um, I think we, we talked about this uh, kind of when we first started diving into the Premier League after the World Cup, but he seemed a bit kind of out of sorts. And I think, you know, obviously linking up with Kane for the goal, like that's, that's as a Spurs fan, that's what you want to be seeing, right? Like you want to be seeing those two either... Assisting or scoring between the two of them, uh and I think it's a positive that Sun seems to be finding some level of form, whether it's, it only comes from the bench. But uh, I, I think that's a big positive, and yeah, for West Ham it's just another kind of lifeless performance, which is not what you want to be seeing. Like you say, London derby should be up for this. This is where you want to see them come through and, and try to grind out a result. And I don't think it ever really looked like that. But uh, yeah, good for Spurs. You know that top four spot is up for grabs with newcastle losing uh, and i think they you moved up into top four now um yep. following this game so that's always uh always good news uh but let's move on to another team who are in the top four and you know i've been here before i've said this before i think man united is still in the title race you're, you're not gonna believe me they uh they go about they take care of business um three nil against leicester leicester who Don't struggle to concede goals. Uh, You know, Marcus Rashford's form right now is like insane. The amount he's scoring and the frequency he's scoring. I don't think it's kind of. It's not something he can sustain, uh, but it doesn't mean it's going to massively drop off. And I think he's just in you know off the back of kind of where people were saying like he needed to start showing what he's worth. And it, like, he was kind of had his critics for sure. And I think he's just silenced all of those uh, tenfold already by, by how he's scoring right now. Um, yeah. And I think, I think Man United, they sit, uh, was it? Five points off the top. Obviously Arsenal have a game in, game in hand, but I think uh, the longer this goes on and the, as close as Man United keep it, it's like, it's one of those teams that regardless of it may have been some time since they last won the league and whatever and it's not the same as an Alex Ferguson side but it's just like it's one of the names that you don't want to see there when if you're in Arsenal with when you're looking behind you right like the same way you don't want to see City you don't want to see Chelsea you don't want to see Liverpool like these teams that have kind of proven Liverpool less so than, than the other's name but in recent years have kind of been pushing that bar and I think the more Man United stick around and just take care of business and the more time that Ten Hag has uh, to kind of build his team because, you know, he he's still a relatively new manager, right? Like, I think he's he's still at the beginning of his journey and, and to already see this, I think, is pretty ominous for Man United haters out there and very good for, for Man United fans. But um, I think Leicester, like, were unlucky not to score, to say the least. I don't think they ever necessarily looked like winning. <laughs> but, you know, they probably... Pr- should have scored uh, and got on the score sheet but what are your thoughts of of this game
1: uh yeah i think i mean look manchester united had over four and a half goals of xg this is a very open game it can be had and united had a feast i thought bruno <laughs> fernandez was fantastic i think who scored gave him almost like gave him like a 9.8 rating marcus rashford he created almost all those chances for rashford I thought, you know, those two guys have really been immense. Ten Hogg was very, like, pissy about the first half. He wasn't, he was, he's being a real curmudgeon. He wasn't happy with the, um, how they played in the first half, which is surprising. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, look, they, they took care of the job. And in terms of the title race, this is what I will say. This isn't like the last few years when we've had a great team, great teams dueling, right? Man right. City and Liverpool, those teams. None of these teams this year are up to par. Man City is just, you know, we were thought after they beat Arsenal, this is kind of them getting to their form, and they're going to win eight or nine on the trot, and they haven't because they're just not as good as they've been. And I think Arsenal is as great of a story as they've been. They're not as good as the Liverpool teams have been the last few years. But none of those teams have to be. Like, this United team would not be anywhere near the title race the last five years, but they're not playing in the last five years. They're playing in the current form where, you have an Arsenal team that's been very good but is, you know, a smaller squad, you have a Man City team where something looks off. You don't even have to get into how bad Chelsea and Liverpool have been. So, you know, I don't <laughs> this United team, I don't want to completely rule them out. I don't I still think Arsenal is better. I still think Man City's better, but you know, there is enough there with Manchester United in a down year where, you know, maybe they could make a run.
0: Yeah, and I think I think I mentioned this last part. like I feel like this is more of a year where Liverpool and Man City have come back to the pack, and and Liverpool more so than Man City with their drop off. But I think you know this is this is the kind of form that we've seen from Arsenal, Man United, Tottenham. You know, in in recent years, Chelsea probably on a bit of a down year, but they're always kind of up and down with with the amount of turnover that we see there. But I think it's really that it's it's the lack of consistency from Man United and uh, Man City sorry, and and Liverpool that have really brought this back to being a true title race with with multiple teams involved, and you know, it's not just wrapped up. Um, and and those title races went on because there was two teams doing it. Like we've seen it in the past where one team just runs away with it, and it's like it's wrapped up by like, this time of year, right? Like, because one team is kind of above and beyond everyone else. But, you know, we've been lucky that there have been two teams pushing the boundaries the last five years. But I think this is a true title race where, like you say, no one is going on these ridiculous runs. I saw um, a stat the other day that, you know, I think Man City's longest winning streak right now is five games or something this season. And, you know, in, in the seasons where they've kind of either pushed Liverpool for the title or they won the league, um you know they they have 18 games wins in a row which is like just insane amount of like consistency and and that's not there and i think that's what makes it exciting and i think yeah that's why i'm gonna keep keep banging that drum of man United being in the mix and until they're not but uh that pretty much wraps it up joe in terms oh, of do you think, terms they're, of gonna be our barcelona? You think they're
1: gonna beat barcelona in the europa league
0: do i, do I think they'll beat barcelona in the, um well, the the game was very fun last week. I must say, like it was. Everything. Not asking about fun. I'm, I'm asking
1: for a prediction.
0: I think they will.
1: I think there they will you go. go. I, I think you've they gone win. full. You've gone full United wanker. I love to see it. No,
0: I just uh, as a Liverpool fan, it kills me to say it. Really no,
1: like. it doesn't sound like it kills you. It seems like you love it.
0: <laughs> oh, it's one of those. It's a. It's an emotional hedge, right? I'm just. Uh, uh, I'm I guess so. Trying to reverse yeah. jinx things, but uh, yeah, and I'll yeah.
1: bathe you with credit. <laughs>
0: Well, if you throw enough darts at the wall, one of them sticks. So I'm going to make plenty of predictions, Joe, over the course of this podcast, and I will always remember the ones I get right, and quickly forget the ones I get drastically wrong. Uh, I'll make like, sure
1: you won't forget the wrong ones,
0: like like the Jorginho being the best player I've bought in the, in the transfer window.
1: Um, big big assist. Yeah.
0: Uh, so before we move on to winners and losers, Joe, anything else to say? Uh, kind of the lay of the land of of the Premier League right now.
1: Uh, no, it's just, I think it's going to be fun. I mean, what do we have? Like uh, most teams have, I mean, we still got a bit of the way. We got like 14 games left for most teams, 15 for some. I mean, I just feel like it's great because this is a rare year where we have a title race. We have a clear, we have a top four race. That's a mess between number of teams. We even have a fight for Euro- European spots. That should be fun. And then we have just, you know, teams at the bottom where just, uh, you know, uh, everybody's fighting for their life I mean, I feel like everybody at this point is still playing for something and is invested in all these games, which is nice when you come from American sports where we have so many crappy regular season games, I mean, I think there's no team that's even like, you know safe, but not in Europe, I mean, every team has something to play for, even Chelsea is their manager's life, right, so yeah, I uh, you know, I just I think we're in a good spot with the league
0: No, for sure, for sure uh, So, should we start with losers or winners this week
1: uh I don't care if you want to end positive or not it's up to you sir yeah
0: let's go losers first and then, uh All right. my I'll go with my loser uh it's someone who probably isn't often described as loser though so I think he did get one in the World Cup I'm gonna go with Neymar who is uh oh, I think he's good his, choice his ankle is pretty much done at this point. Um, some serious ligament damage. It seems uh, he's obviously having a decent year as Neymar always does, uh, and it, it seems like his injury uh, was pretty bad at the weekend. Uh, and now the, the reports coming out is that yeah, it's, it's some pretty bad ligament damage, and we'll see him sidelined for a while. And you know, this is a guy who's he's not getting any younger. Uh, he's into his thirties now, and, and these are the injuries that can quickly end your career or at least slow it down. And yeah, is, is this another sign that? PSG are not going to get that holy grail of the, the Champions League yet again with with him missing but I'm going to go with Neymar as my, my loser of the week How about you Joe?
1: I think that's a good call Is that who you had? <laughs> no, no I, there's so many losers I could go with um, I, I do want to mention Barcelona a big scandal is erupting where right. they have paid a referee yeah. uh, the club is saying for consulting and teaching them the rules which is not uncommon <laughs> However, the sums of money he was making were quite significant, and he's stating that the club paid him to teach officials how to give, you know, Barcelona breaks, so how to make it look like, oh, that's that's not actually a red card, or oh, that's not really that, or oh, you know, and just trying to make it look good to like to give favorable treatment to Barcelona, and this is accompanied by the fact that Barcelona went two years without a red card or a penalty against them, so you know, you gotta, you know. Sometimes things are coincidences, but makes you wonder. So yeah. Barcelona has to be a loser, and I'm also going to win. My loser is the uh, the MLS playoffs. Oh right! <laughs> They've decided to, you know, we we we're talking about how great, you know, every game matters. We have promotion, relegation, European spots, you know, uh, titles up for grabs, domestic cups. So what does the MLS do? Um, well, what didn't they do? They expanded, <laughs> they're going expanded to, their
0: playoff format even further.
1: <laughs> I, I even forget what are there 28 teams in MLS now. Well, 18 of those teams are going to make the playoffs. (laughs) So basically the regular season is almost worthless. Basically there's going to be an eight, nine play-in because you just have to have a play in. And then whoever wins that, the eight, the top eight seeds in each conference play a best of three. So everyone gets a home game just to add to the, the amount of home, you know, the tonnage that Apple TV gets. And then from that point, from that point on, when there's four teams in each conference, so eight total. From that point on, every game is going to be single elimination. So, in true, beautiful, great fashion, uh, you play a best of three in the first round, and then you play lim- single elimination one game in the you know the higher profile games. So, just uh, classic MLS just makes no sense. Yeah, I, I don't
0: like with North American sports. Like I'm completely used to playoffs and stuff like that and i get it like you know football slash soccer purists don't like the playoff format uh in the in a top division but like it's fine if they're gonna do that i just it's the it's the best of three series for like the first round just like makes no sense it basically takes out any fun storylines of like a cinderella story of a team who finished you know they were the last playoff spot and they go on a nice run at the right time and they make their way to the MLS Cup. It's like, no, they're now going to be playing the best team like three times. And, you know, odds are they're not going to beat them twice <laughs> over three games. And I just think... And then to your point, like, then they don't have that for the games where it's like, you think of the final this year, uh, which was, what did it finish? Four four or three or whatever it was before it went to penalties. Like It was a cracking game. It's like, yeah, I'd, I'd watch three of those games. Uh, it, especially if it's like... You know, there's no there's no ties, so it's you're going to go to extra time penalties or however they're going to resolve it. But I just think it's, uh, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And just adding those games and basically rolling like making sure the best teams win, which I guess is is the point um, you want your best teams to win, but then don't have playoffs and just have the top of the table win. But uh, yeah, that's enough said about MLS. And also, it's just weird that they've announced it what seven days before the season start. When does it start? Saturday, or is it a yeah. week Saturday? Like. Why, why now? But uh, yeah, anyway, my, my winners of the week, I'm gonna go with the uh, Canadian women's national team uh, who beat Brazil 2-0. Uh, there's a lot of controversy going on around the uh, the Canadian team right now with, with proce- uh, protests, sorry, going on um, around kind of threats of legal action there's just all sorts of trouble going on. It's not a great time for Canadian women's soccer, but then to beat uh, Brazil, which I, I'm not sure they have like the prowess of the, the men's national team, but, you know, beating Brazil at football is always a big moment. Uh, and, you know, it kind of then gave light to the, some of the protests and the issues that were going on there in the, in the Canadian game. So uh, I thought that was a, a good winner for this week. So, Joe, that pretty much wraps things up. Um, anything else winner. to say? I don't get a winner. Didn't you do your winner already? Oh no, you, you. I was thinking Ablesa Cup, but yeah. Sorry, you're go trying to
1: cut me off, buddy. Just because I have two losers. <laughs> um,
0: I did think it was weird that you complained about your winner being. The <laughs> <cup>. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry.
1: Um. So my winner is going to be. I could go with the Bundesliga. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Borussia Dortmund specifically as my winner here. Uh, they've won. They're the only team in Germany, uh, to win every game since the world cup break. They've been on fire. They're currently tied with Bayern Munich in Union Berlin for the top spot in the, in the Bundesliga, which is, I think Bayern have won 10 in a row. Um, and you know, Dortmund have, classically been a side that is underperforming their very high expectations. They have 13 games left to go, and they're in a dogfight with Bayern. So, you know, Bayern lost uh, against um, uh They had a, a red card that was an interesting red card early in the game. There's been much debate if it was actually a red card. Bayern had to play 10 men basically for 80 minutes. They lose 3-2. Dortmund take care of business. And all of a sudden we have a title race in Germany for the first time in a long time. So, um, you know, hopefully we get this, get this as far down to the wire as possible.
0: Yeah. And shout out to the union Berlin as well. They're, they're a fun story and they're pushing for the title. Um,
1: Oh, they played just such a dour game against Schalke this week. <laughs> just a boring, boring, nil, nil,
0: nil, nil. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they I uh, up until this point they had quite a few good results uh, and, and some goals uh, along the way. I think they scored like two goals in, I think four games in a row. They scored twice, um, mm-hmm. but I th- yeah, like you said, I think it's 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 fun to see a true title race in a league which is often dominated by Bayern, and then you know there's the odd sprinkle of. A couple of other teams making some noise here and there, but but
1: generally they've just absolutely dominated that league. So that's besides England, it might be the only place where we actually see a title race.
0: Yeah, Barcelona are pretty clear now. Um, Napoli, Napoli, yeah, Napoli have pretty much wrapped it up. France, I mean PSG,
1: maybe they're kind of playing like crap, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I feel like they just. Yeah, I, mean, I think they they've got enough to, to tip them over the edge. But I mean,
1: Marseille yeah. is there nipping at the heels. I, w- I don't think it's impossible, but yeah. they they like to score goals as well. Marseille has another. Everyone likes to coach. score goals. Nobody doesn't true. like to score goals. But There's just it's, not everybody. Some can. teams struggle.
0: Yeah, true. Yes. <laughs> true. Uh, anything else, Joe? Before we we wrap things up tonight.
1: Uh, I think we're good. I think it was a it wasn't necessarily the most brilliantly played weekend, but uh, you know, a lot of narrative we had to sift through.
0: Yeah, and let us know your thoughts on, on this format of how we talk through uh, the games. Obviously, it'll be dependent on kind of the structure of the Saturday games and, and how many are played at the three o'clock window. But uh, I think this was a fun way to do it and kind of kept things moving along nicely. So, Joe, if, if anyone has any feedback on, on our show tonight, how can they reach us?
1: Uh, that would be at the wrong foot podcast at gmail.com. I, we did get some mail from uh, Maya Katz, she wanted to say that I love you like a mother, mother of dragons. <laughs> so uh, that was very important to, uh, that had to be said. We love you, Maya. Okay. I am, I, I, you know, I'll be whatever you need me to be. <laughs>
0: fair enough just don't give her your bank details like that. <laughs> let's not get catfished live on the podcast um,
1: no I would yeah. never <laughs>
0: yeah and if you want to follow us on twitter at Pod, obviously subscribe to this uh, give us a feedback or a review I think the iTunes reviews they're a thing right uh, we should probably be on yeah. top of these things listen so.
1: subscribe you know all that garbage yeah, you, know,
0: you know what everyone else says on the, start, the top and,
1: and bottom of every podcast yeah, uh, those for things sure. for
0: us uh, Insert. yeah here. exactly if <laughs> <So> you <laughs> so, do it to your
1: favorite podcast do it to us Exactly, exactly.
0: Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure as always, is, and uh, hope you have a good
1: night. Hey, Rich, good luck with the p